This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. You're listening to the Qalam Institute podcast series, Sirah, Life of the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Qalam is pleased to announce that admissions for the next Qalam seminary intake are now open. For more information, please visit qalaminstitute.org. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Inshallah, continuing with our series on the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, As-Siratu Nabawiyya, the prophetic biography. In the uh, last few sessions, we've actually been talking about the Battle of Badr. Um, this was one of the major events of the life of the Prophet ﷺ. Of course, this was during the Medinan era, and it was in the second year of the Prophet ﷺ's residence in the city of Medina. It was m- about midway through the month of Ramadan, about 17 days, uh, on the 17th, excuse me, of Ramadan. And what we've, been, what we've been talking about, where we left off last, uh, a couple of weeks ago, was talking about how the Messenger ﷺ had basically kind of uh, rallied the troops, if you will. The Prophet ﷺ was engaging in dua, not just from the night before, but during the morning of and even into the early part of the battle. The Prophet ﷺ had rallied the troops and straightened up you know, the lines and basically had given everyone instructions. And at that particular time where we left off, the angels and the malaika came down into the battlefield. One of the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum, he specifically talks about it. He says that on that day, I was um, fetching some water from one of the wells that we had on our side, one of the wells of Badr, and I felt two gushes of wind. I felt two gushes of wind going by, and that was the two waves of the angels coming down from the sky. And we talked about how the angels came down, and there was a contingent of angels being led by Jibreel alayhi salam, another one being led by Mikail alayhi salam, and the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi salam tells Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that, you know, um, don't worry, Ya Aba Bakr, Abshir Ya Aba Bakr, congratulations, don't worry. Um, he says, Hada Jibreel, Mu'tajizun bi amamatin safra, Akhidun bi anani farasihi bayna samai wal ard. That I can see Jibreel right now between the heavens and the earth, riding his way down from the sky. He was, the Prophet ﷺ describes that he was wearing a turban that was yellow in color, and he was holding the reins of his horse riding down from the sky. And Jibreel alayhi salam was saying to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, "Ataka nasrullahi idda'utahu." The help of Allah subhanahu wa taala has come when you called out to Allah, that you made du'a to Allah, asking Allah for His help, and the help of Allah subhanahu wa taala has come down. And we talked a little bit about how there were some stories, like Abdurrahman bin Auf radiyallahu taala anhu talks about how. He was walking through the battlefield and he comes across one of the uh, one of the opposition, one of the enemies, one of the Quraysh, who's just sitting there in the battlefield tied up. Just randomly just sitting there tied up. And so I didn't know who tied him up. I looked around, I picked him up and I brought him to the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ said that, did you uh, capture him? And he says, oh no, O Messenger of Allah. He says, and who did? He says, I don't know. And uh, Mushrik himself specifically, he says that, the one who had captured me was this tall, very, very tall individual wearing white clothes. And he was so intimidating that when he came up to me, I just sat down. And then he tied me up. And I was too, just, I didn't know what to tell him. So I stayed quiet. The Prophet ﷺ asked me, who tied you up? And he says, I didn't know what to say. I remained quiet. And then the Prophet ﷺ said that, Asarakan malakun, that one of the angels must have tied you up. And then he told Abdurrahman bin Auf that basically this will count as one of your, the people that you captured. And similarly, it mentions some of the Sahaba, uh, Abu Umama uh, radiallahu ta'ala anhu relates from his father Sahal, that he, or Sahal, Abu Umama, he narrates from his father Sahal, who was a Sahabi and a participant of Badr. He says, Ya Bunayya, he says, Oh my son, telling him about the stories of Badr, لَقَدْ رَأَيْتُنَا يَوْمَ بَدْرٍ وَإِنَّ أَحَدَنَا لَا يُشِيرُ إِلَىٰ رَأْسِ الْمُشْرِكِ That if you could have seen us on the day of Badr, as we were in the battlefield, we would just point at one of the enemies, and the second that we would point at him, he would fall in the battlefield. That one of the angels would come down and strike him from above. 
He, another narration, some of the Sahaba talk about the fact, uh, Abu Waqid al-Laythi, he says that I was following one of the mushriks in the battlefield, and I raised up my sword to strike him, and before my sword was even near him, he fell. That the angels were just striking them down, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran that He, he instructed the angels, that they were under the instruction of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to strike down the disbelievers. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifically, we talked in detail about the angels coming down and the mushrikun even talked about how the sky became just covered and clouded all of a sudden. And these were waves of angels that were riding down from the sky. Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, specifically recalling an ayah of the Qur'an, says something very, very interesting. He says that, إِذْ يُغَشِيكُمُ النُّعَاسَ أَمَنَةً مِنْهُ That when sleep overtook you, Nu'as refers to when you start getting sleepy, when you start kind of bobbing your head up and down. إِذْ يُغَشِيكُمُ النُّعَاسَ أَمَنَةً مِنْهُ That because Allah bestowed peace upon you, sleep started to overtake you and your head started falling. And Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu talking about this particular incident, he says that as we were even standing there in the sufuf, in the lines of the battle of Badr, we started to fall asleep and our heads started falling. And even in the battlefield, we started dozing off, standing around, sitting on our animals. We started dozing off in the middle of the battlefield. And this was the sakina and tamanina. This was the peace and tranquility that Allah descended upon us in the battle of Badr. And the angels were all around us and basically taking care of everything. And that's why Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he used to comment when mentioning this, he used to say, أَنُّعَاسُ فِي الْمَصَافِ مِنَ الْإِيمَانِ وَالنُّعَاسُ فِي الصَّلَاةِ مِنَ النِّفَاقِ He used to say that when you start to fall asleep in the battlefield, that is a sign of iman and faith. But when you start to fall asleep in your prayer, that's a sign of hypocrisy and nifaq. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us all. So he used to comment about this saying that this was our situation on the day of the battle of Badr. Going forward uh, on, in the story of Badr, so after the angels came down in the battlefield and the ba- battle basically started to rage on, the mushrikun of course started to suffer some very serious losses there in the battlefield. And uh, the Prophet of Allah wasallam, aside from you know, engaging in the battle and going forward, he was engaging in a lot of dua, continued to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One very specific incident that it mentions is about the Prophet wasallam reaching down, picking up some dust in his hands, and then the Prophet wasallam threw it in the direction of uh, the disbelievers. And when he threw it into the direction of the disbelievers, uh, Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu specifically relates that فَرَمَا بِهِ فِي وُجُوهِ الْقَوْمِ فَلَمْ يَبْقَى مُشْرِكٌ إِلَّا دَخْلَ فِي عَيْنَيْهِ مِنْ ذَلِكَ تُرَابِ شَيْءٌ ثُمَّ رَدِفَهُمُ الْمُسْلِمُونَ يَقْتُلُونَهُمْ وَيَأْسِلُونَهُمْ That when the Prophet threw that dust, Part, the particles of that dust found its way into the eyes of each and every single one of the enemy, and that basically dazed them. They became kind of frozen, it dazed them, and that's when the Muslims were basically able to overrun the army that was three times their size. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the ayah, فَلَمْ تَقْتُلُوهُمْ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ قَتَلَهُمْ It was not you who killed them, but rather it was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who killed them. وَمَا رَمَيْتَ إِذْ رَمَيْتَ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ رَمَا It was not you who threw when you threw, but rather it was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who threw the dust on your behalf. Right, And so from this, there's a very important fundamental principle that I've talked about before, and I'll reiterate here very briefly, that we have to understand one very simple reality. The dua of the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ telling the Sahaba to hold down till the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala came down. And the angels and the malaika coming into the battlefield. The Muslims achieving this type of victory even though they were outnumbered three to one. Right, All of these things, and even in ayats of this nature, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Prophet you didn't do anything, none of you did anything, it was Allah who did it, and you didn't throw, even when you threw that dust, it was not you, it was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who is making that dust reach its destination and its target, reminds us of the very simple reality, that victory is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are means to everything. 
There is a means to everything. And yes, at times, to, in order to be able to defend the lives and the property and the honor and the dignity of Islam and Muslims specifically, right? Warfare or battle is something, engaging in war is something that is a means to an end. But ultimately we have to understand that even then the ultimate means is the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the means is only as effective as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deems it. And so we have to see the nusrah here of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the help of Allah that came here, and the reliance and the dependence that, Allah, that the Messenger sallallahu had upon the uh, help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Specifically about this, some of the mushrikun um, they relate, and some of the people that fought on that day on the side of the mushrikun, and they became Muslim later on. One of them was Hakim bin Hizam. Hakim bin Hizam, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, was the cousin of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He was very sympathetic towards the Muslims. He was forced to come along in the Battle of Badr. And so, um, some of them, they, they relate later on, that one time somebody was asking Hakim bin Hizam about what happened on the Battle of Badr. Tell us, excuse me, tell us your perspective from the other side. What was the Battle of Badr like? And he, فَجَعَلَ الشَّيْخِ يَكْرَهُ ذَلِكَ He didn't like talking about that because he very much regretted the fact that he was on the wrong side on the Battle of Badr. فَأَلَحَ عَلَيْهِ Somebody kept, kind of kept forcing him, please tell me, tell me. فَقَالَ حَكِيمٌ إِلْتَقَيْنَا فَاقْتَتَلْنَا we met in the battlefield and we fought. What more do you want? He was an elderly man, so he didn't have a lot of patience. He said, we went to the battlefield and we fought. But then he says, I heard a sound coming from the sky towards the earth. It was like the sound if you took pebbles and you dropped them in a metal dish. If there was a metal dish and you started dropping pebbles into it, that clanging sound that the pebbles would make when they would hit the dish. He said that was the sound that we heard coming from the sky falling onto the ground. وَقَبَضَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ الْقُبْضَةَ التُرَابَ فَرَمَا بِهَا فَنْهَزَمْنَا and he says, we heard this sound coming, and then I saw that the Prophet ﷺ picked up a handful of dust, and he threw it in our direction, and next thing you know, we had lost the battle. Right? So it was purely the help and the nusra and the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that gave the victory to the Muslims on that day. Yes, the Sahaba showed exemplary bravery. But what we have to understand, it was the, it was the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is very important in light of, you know, a lot of the discourse that we have right now. Right, that where there's all this discourse and there's all this discussion about, you know, jihad and qital and war and battle. We have to understand fundamentally one thing, that just the simple act of engaging in battle and war and killing is something that is disliked in and of itself. It is what we call in usulul fiqh, uh, it's, it's qabihun li dhatihi, hasanun li ghayrihi. It is something in and of itself that is despised. The loss of life, the shedding of blood is not something noteworthy, or not something admirable, it's not something praiseworthy. But it becomes necessary due to the circumstances. But ultimately we understand that as long as the Muslims conduct themselves properly, and even in that situation of war, they never let go of their relationship with Allah. And they conduct themselves with the highest of ethics and morality, and spirituality and reliance and dependence upon Allah, then Allah grants them the victory. And that's the understanding that we realize, right? The, uh, another narration similarly, he says, إِنْ هَزَمْنَا يَوْمَ بَدْرٍ وَنَحْنُ نَسْمَعُ سَوْتًا قَوَاقِعِ الْحِصَافِ الْتِصَاسِ فِي أَفْئِدَتِنَا وَمِنْ خَلْفِنَا وَكَانَ ذَلِكَ مِنْ أَشَدِّ الرُّعْبِ عَلَيْنَا He says that we lost on the battle of Badr, and we heard sounds like the sound of pebbles hitting a metal dish. And that sound was in our hearts, that sound was behind us, and it, was, it struck fear into our hearts. And we turned and started running from the battlefield when we heard that sound. So it was the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that was coming to the aid of the Sahaba on that day. One of the very interesting things was uh, about the Battle of Badr that specifically I mentioned we would talk about um, today is the fact that some of the key leaders of the Quraysh on that day came to um, fight in the Battle of Badr. And 
One other thing that I'll mention before I move on to this is that there were a lot of individuals such as the uncle of the Prophet Abbas, Hakim bin Hizam, and other such individuals who did not want to come. They were very sympathetic towards the Muslims. One of the individuals who did end up getting killed on, in the Battle of Badr, Abu al-Bukhtari, he was one of the people that was one of the main individuals. He was key in ending the boycott against the Muslims back in the days of Mecca. And the Prophet remembered this. Something very interesting that again needs to be highlighted because um, you know when people try to take the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ and take events like the Battle of Badr and the maghazi, the events, the, the, the battles from the life of the Prophet ﷺ and they try to hijack them, they try to use them incorrectly to fulfill some of their own bloodlust that they have. There are groups and individuals that we see in the world today that are just thirsty for blood. They are ruthless, reckless individuals. Right? The Prophet ﷺ specifically warned us about young people who will come and they will be bloodthirsty. Right? They will be, over, they will be overflowing with their lust and their desires. And they will do whatever means, they will take whatever means they can acquire in order to fulfill that lust and that desire for blood that they have. Right, and we see that playing out in the world today. One of the very interesting things is that the Prophet ﷺ never forgot the individuals that had done right by the Muslims on that day. The Prophet ﷺ specifically, he talked about Abu Bukhtari. He said Abu Bukhtari was one of the people who helped us during the days of the boycott, and he was key in removing the boycott from the Muslims. In the Meccan days. And so the Prophet ﷺ said that if any one of you comes across Abu al-Bukhtari, do not harm him. Bring him to me. Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, who helped the Muslims time and time again. He helped negotiate the Prophet ﷺ's hijrah from Mecca to Medina with the Ansar. He said, if you come across him, do not kill him, bring him to me. Right? And Hakim bin Hizam and so many other individuals, he said that they have been forced the Prophet said, فَلَا يَقْتُلْهُ فَإِنَّهُ إِنَّمَا خَرَجَ مُسْتَكْرَهًا That they were forced to come by the leaders of Quraysh. So the Prophet was very keen and, and conscious of this. So one of these individuals that the Prophet specifically pointed out, do not harm him, and that was Abu al-Bukhtari. Mujaddar bin Ziyad al-Balawi, he was a sahabi of the Prophet he was a halif of the Ansar. He specifically says that I came across him in the battlefield, and he said to him, Inna Rasulullah The Prophet forbade us from harming you. Come with me please. Abu al-Bukhtari had one of his friends from Mecca, Junada ibn Muleyha, who was one of the opposition, one of the enemy who was with him. So he says that, what about this friend of mine? So Mujathar, he says to him, he says, well, we have to deal with him, we have to take him, we have to capture him, or you know, if he doesn't come with us willingly, then we will have to basically handle him. We have to take care of him, it's a battlefield. So he says, no, I will not leave, I will not abandon, this is my friend, I will not abandon him. And he says that Abu al-Bukhtari pulled out his sword on me. And he started to attack me. And he said that I basically had to defend myself. And so I engaged with him, I fought him, until the point where Abu al-Bukhtari died and he fell in the battlefield. He says that Mujaddar came to the Messenger ﷺ and he said, وَالَّذِي بَعَثَكَ بِالْحَقِّ I swear by Allah, O Messenger of Allah, لَقَدْ جَهِدْتُ عَلَيْهِ أَنْ يَسْتَأْسِرَ فَآتِيَكَ بِهِ I tried to bring him to you. فَأَبَا إِلَّا أَنْ يُقَاتِلَنِي But he refused and he insisted on fighting me. فَقَاتَلْتُهُ فَقَتَلْتُهُ I fought him and he fell in the battlefield. And the Prophet ﷺ did not reprimand him because at that point he had to engage in self-defense. Right? But the Prophet ﷺ did not forget the fact that this man looked out for us in the days of Mecca, so we will look out for him today in the battlefield. Another key individual that came on the battle of Badr, on the day of Badr was Umayyah bin Khalaf. Now Umayyah bin Khalaf is completely the opposite. Umayyah bin Khalaf was somebody who was very hateful, very spiteful towards the Prophet ﷺ and towards the Muslims in general. He was one of the key torturers of Muslims back in the days of Mecca. Specifically Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu had suffered at his hands for years. 
He had tortured Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu for years until Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu was finally able to secure the freedom of Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And so Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu and many other Muslims had suffered at his hands. And he was somebody who was very nasty, very hateful, and very spiteful towards the Prophet ﷺ. However, there's something very interesting, Abdurrahman bin Auf. Abdurrahman bin Auf, who is one of the great Sahaba, one of the great companions of the Prophet ﷺ, and one of the early, early Muslims, somebody the Prophet ﷺ had a lot of confidence in, right? And he was very close to the Prophet ﷺ even before Islam. One of the very interesting notes that we find in the seerah, the mother of Abdurrahman bin Auf, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, was there at the time of the birth of the Prophet The mother of Abdurrahman bin Auf was one of the friends of the mother of the Prophet and she assisted the mother of the Prophet Amina bin Tawahab, in giving birth to the Prophet So their families were close, he was very close to the Prophet and that's why he was one of the key initial individuals that came to Islam. And it said that it was Abu Bakr anhu who went and invited Abdurrahman bin Auf to Islam, and Abdurrahman bin Auf became Muslims, became Muslim at the hands of Abu Bakr anhu on the second second or third day of Islam. So he was one of the first few individuals who became Muslim. He says that me and Umayyah bin Khalaf, we went way back. We grew up together in Mecca. And my name, Abdurrahman bin Auf, Abdurrahman, he says my name before Islam was Abdu Amr, the slave of Amr. It was, the, it was my name before Islam. It was a jahili name, a name from the times of ignorance. Not a very proper name for a Muslim. So when I became Muslim, I adopted the name Abdurrahman. فَتَسَمَّيْتُ بِعَبْدِ الرَّحْمَانِ I assumed the name Abdurrahman, because Abdu Amr, the slave of Amr, is not an appropriate name for Muslim. It's a little bit of a side point. And of course, I'll defer to Imam Zia here. But just a little bit of a side point that when it comes to names in Islam, the fiqh of this is simply the fact that um, it is the choice, uh, number one, that a name is necessary to change only when it has a very negative meaning. Only when it has a very negative meaning like the slave of Amr. Right? That's not inappropriate. Or sometimes their names would be Abdul Uzza. Uzza was an idol. Right? So the, sl- the slave of an idol. Right? Or sometimes we find that in Christian, Christians would be Abdul Masih. The slave of Isa alayhi salam. Right? So names like this are inappropriate. And the Prophet would change their names. Right? Um, however, if the name of an individual is not Arabic, but let's just say it's an English name, and it does not have a negative meaning, it does not have a bad meaning, it is not necessary or mandatory on that individual to change it. Majority of the Sahaba did not change their names. Majority did not. Umar, his name before Islam was Umar. Right? Bilal, his name before Islam was Bilal. Right, even though Bilal in Arabic means wet. But it doesn't matter. It did not have a negative meaning. Like one that contradicted like aqidah or faith, theology. Theologically speaking, it was not a bad or negative name. The Prophet did not obligate them to change it. Therefore, we should kind of understand this. We need to learn the fiqh of it. We might be coming from Muslim majority communities or families or countries even, societies, where we're just used to most people having Arabic names. Right, And so we might be accustomed to it. So we might be a little thrown off balance if you hear somebody's name is John, or you hear somebody's name is Jason, or you hear somebody's name is April or whatever. Right, And so we hear that name, we get a little thrown off and we say, brother, sister, you should have a Muslim name. That is a Muslim name. Name isn't what makes somebody Muslim. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah is what makes somebody Muslim. So it's important to learn the fiqh of this. This is an issue of fiqh. It's not a cultural issue. It's a fiqh issue. And we need to educate ourselves in regards to this. Now if somebody chooses to change their names, right? I've met, I've met individuals, I've given shahada to individuals who say, I want to change my name just because I just want to have a fresh start. That is that person's choice. They can change their name to whatever they want. Alright? However, the name, the Prophet would only change it if it was, a, it was a name that's not allowed in Islam. Abdu Amr, the slave of Amr. It's not appropriate for Muslim to be named that. Right? The slave of another man. So that's why his name was changed to Abdurrahman. So he says, فَتَسَمَّيْتُ بِعَبْدِرَّحْمَانِ I named myself Abdurrahman. So he said, my friend, Umayyah bin Khalaf from back in the day, he said, why? Well, what's wrong with your name? The name that your parents gave you isn't good enough anymore? 
And he said, no, I, I have a better name, Abdurrahman. He goes, I'm not going to call you Abdurrahman, because I don't know who this, this Ar-Rahman is. So he says, this is the name of Allah. This is the name of my God, my Lord, my Master. So he says, so basically your name is like Abdul Ilah. Ilah means God. That's your name? He said, close enough. Close enough. Like somebody's name is Abdul, Abdurrahman. And somebody says, I don't get it. So they say, Abdullah? He says, yeah, close enough. So he says, okay. And he said that we used to have a little bit of a, like a back and forth. Like friends from back in the day, we had a little game. Every time he would see me, he would call me Abdul Amr. And I would not answer him. And he would say, why won't you answer me? And he says, because you're not saying my name. So he said that I would say Abdullah, like Abdul Ilah, Abdullah. And then I would answer him, yes, you called me. And he said we would have this exchange every single time. He called me Abdul Amr, I wouldn't answer him. He called me Abdullah or Abdul Ilah, and then I would answer him. So he said that we had this relationship going back in the day. When we initially moved to Medina, he said Umayyah bin Khalaf, because of his relationship with me, he told me, if you ever want to come back to Mecca, I will protect you in Mecca. You're a Muslim, you went with Muhammad, I don't agree with you in regards to that. But if you ever want to come back to Mecca, I'm with you brother. I'll take care of you. And he says, and, if, and then Abdurrahman bin Auf told him, okay, similarly, if you visit Medina, I'll take care of you. And so he said, we kind of had a little bit of a relationship. When I saw him in the battlefield, I told him that, you know, come with me. I told him, come with me. And I grabbed him by the hand, and I started uh, taking him with me. And he says that his son was with him as well. Uh, Umayyah bin Khalaf, this man from the Quraysh, this enemy of Islam, his son was with him as well. And I grabbed both of their hands, and I said, both of you come with me. And my plan was to maybe take them to the Prophet ﷺ as prisoners, and be able to then maybe save their lives, take them to the Prophet ﷺ as prisoners, and then later on worry about you know negotiating their release or freedom. And the reason why this story is highlighted, it's mentioned in many of the books of Sirah, and the books of Hadith as well. Imam Bukhari mentions this incident in his sahih as well. And this kind of goes to show you the human side of the sahaba. Right? Because a lot of times we'll talk about the sahaba as superheroes and they were remarkable individuals. But we have to understand there was a very human side to them. Right? That they had these old relationships and it was very difficult for them. And they were trying to figure out how to manage and handle all of this. So it was not very convenient and easy. Right? The sahaba were just these, were not, well, ayadhu billah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us. But like some people would like to paint the picture, sahaba were not these bloodthirsty men who just ran into the battlefield and just wanted to chop up the enemy. Right? They recognized the people across from there. And they wished it hadn't come to this. And they were trying to save lives, as many as they could. And they were trying to talk sense into their old friends and some of the, even their family members. That what are you doing? Come to your senses. And so Abdurrahman bin Auf says, I was taking both of them, trying to make it, to trying to figure out how I could secure you know, their, their capture and then their release and save their lives. And he says, Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu sees Umayyah bin Khalaf. Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu sees Umayyah bin Khalaf. And you have to again understand, this again shows you the human side of things. Right? That Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu sees Umayyah bin Khalaf, he sees the man who tortured him for years. We say that, right? I just sit, sat here and said, tortured him for years. Four or five words. You have to understand what that means. To see the man in an open field, who, dra- who would tie you to a horse, and then drag you around in the streets. To see the man who would whip you all night long, and then when the sun would rise, would take you, and the, 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 the wounds that you had on your back, he would put you, lay you down on the hot burning sand, and then place a big old rock on your chest, so that you couldn't move, so that the sand would eat away at your wounds, the hot burning sand. To see that man, right, who would choke you near death, and then let you go. And then do that to you every single day. To see that man. Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu screamed out. He says, Ra'sul kufri Umayyah bin Khalaf. Ra'sul kufri Umayyah bin Khalaf. There goes the head of kufr, Umayyah bin Khalaf. The leader of the kuffar, Umayyah bin Khalaf. And he kept screaming, La najawtu in naja. La najawtu in naja. If he survives, I will not survive. 
If he survives, I will not survive. He's traumatized. Right? He's saying, Umayyah ibn Khalaf, Umayyah ibn Khalaf. If he lives, I, he'll kill me. I can't live. I'll die if he doesn't die. And when the Muslims, and Abdurrahman bin Auf says, Ay Bilal, Abi Asidi, Bilal, stop, stop. I got him. They're captured. Look, I got him. I, they're captured. And he says that he just kept screaming, La najotu in Najah, La najotu in Najah, Umayyah bin Khalaf, La najotu in Najah. And he said when the Muslims heard it's Umayyah bin Khalaf and you know, of course the stories of him harassing the Prophet ﷺ, saying bad things to the Prophet ﷺ, torturing Muslims, killing Muslims, were so well known that all of a sudden a group of Muslims surrounded. And Abdurrahman bin Auf says they surrounded us with a circle. And I stood there and somebody grabbed his son and basically ended up killing his son. And Umayyah bin Khalaf went to try to go save his son. And I said, no, no, your son is gone. Let me save your life. And he says that I tried to cover him up. But then basically before I knew it, he had been killed. Now again, Umayyah bin Khalaf had made his own bed. Right? He had done what he had done. He had killed you know, so many Muslims, tortured dozens of Muslims. And so this was just equal retribution for what he had done. Right, but Abdurrahman bin Auf, he says that I tried to save him, but I wasn't able to, and that's why Abdurrahman bin Auf, remembering that incident, he used to always uh, say, "Yarhamullahu Bilalan." Yarhamullahu Bilalan. He says, "Fajani bi adra'i wa bi asiraiya." He says, "May Allah have mercy on Bilal." I was gonna try to capture them as captives, but Bilal, you know, he just. He freaked out and what happened, happened. And fine, it was the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But he used to always say, may Allah have mercy on Bilal. So this was the end of Umayyah bin Khalaf, one of the most, um, you know, very severe enemies uh, of the Muslims on that day. One of the things that it also says that Abdurrahman bin Auf says, while I was trying to protect uh, Umayyah bin Khalaf, one of the swords of the Muslims ended up injuring my leg. And he says it left uh, a scar. And whenever he would tell this story, he would kind of pull up his pants. And Yurina ذَلِكَ الْأَثْرَ فِي ظَهْرِ قَدَمِهِ He would always kind of like show us that scar on the top of his foot. And he used to always point out that scar that this happened on that particular day. The next um, individual, of course, um, that key individual that came from the side of the Quraysh, that ended up dying on this particular day was Abu Jahl. Of course, Abu Jahl, the Prophet ﷺ said about him later on on that day of Badr, but I'll share it now. The Prophet ﷺ pointed at Abu Jahl and he said, هَذَا فِرْعَوْنُ أُمَّتِي In the riwayah of Abu Dawood, uh, Imam Dhahabi says it's an authentic narration. He said, هَذَا فِرْعَوْنُ أُمَّتِي That this is the Fir'aun of my ummah, Abu Jahl. Right? And we all know that Abu Jahl had done against you know, uh, the Prophet ﷺ and against the Muslims time and time again. Abdurrahman bin Auf, this narration is in the Sahihain in both Bukhari and Muslim. Abdurrahman uh, bin Auf radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says, إِنِّي لَوَاقِفٌ يَوْمَ بَدْرٍ فِي الصَّفْ I was standing in the lines on the day of Badr. فَنَظَرْتُ عَنْ يَمِينِي وَشَمَالِي فَإِذَا بَيْنَ غُلَامَيْنِ مِنَ الْأَنصَارِ حَدِيثَةٍ أَسْنَانُهُمَا He says, I was standing between two young men of the Ansar, and they were very young. فَتَمَنَّيْتُ أَنْ أَكُونَ بَيْنَ أَضْلَعٍ مِنْهُمَا For a moment there, I wished in my heart that I wish I would have been standing between two big strong men. But I look on either side of me and I'm standing between two very young men. From the Ansar, farmers, right, young men. But I kind of wish for a moment, I wish I was standing between two warriors. It's battle, right? And he says, I was just thinking this, um, One of them kind of pulled me, right? Kind of like tucked on my shoulder. He says, uncle, do you know who Abu Jahl is? I said, yeah, of course I know who Abu Jahl is. What do you want with Abu Jahl? Boy, right? what do you want with Abu Jahl? He says, He says, I've heard that he does terrible things to the Messenger minna." And I swear to Allah that if I come across him, I will not leave him except that I've taken care of him. 
فَتَعَجَّبْتُ لِذَلِكَ He says, I was really astonished by what this young man said to me. He says that as soon as he said this to me, the other one then kind of taps me on the shoulder. And he said the same thing. Hey, uncle, do you, can you show me who Abu Jahl is? And I was like, what do you want with Abu Jahl? And he said the same thing. So he says, just both of them said to me, and I saw that Abu Jahl was kind of riding his horse around, right, kind of circling around some of the lines. And I said to both of them, Alatayarani, Do you see him? You see that guy right there running around? That's who you're looking for. So he said both of them drew their swords and bolted out. Just flew out from the line in the direction of Abu Jahl. And they went there and one of them, you know, struck him down from his sword, uh, from his horse, and injured him pretty badly. Um, and the two of them were Mu'adh bin Amr bin al-Jamuh, and the other was Mu'adh bin Afra. Mu'adh ibn, ibn Afra, and the other was Mu'adh bin Amr bin Jamuh. They were both from the Ansar. Two, both of them named Mu'adh. And so, one of them, Mu'adh uh, bin Amr bin Jamuh, um, he actually says that when I attacked, um, so there were two of them. One of them ended up dying, um, falling in the battlefield. He was a shaheed um, uh, on this particular day. The other one, uh, Mu'adh bin J- Amr bin Jamuh, he says, when I attacked Abu Jahal, his son, uh, Ikrimah, who was with him, he struck me. And when he struck me, he struck my arm, and my arm basically, he basically severed my arm. It was just basic, it was dangling from my body. And he said, I just kind of tossed it behind me over my shoulder, and I kept fighting. Until it started becoming cumbersome, and he says, I put it down on the ground, and I put my foot on it, and I severed it from my body. But I kept on fighting. And he goes on, the, 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 Ibn Ishaq says, ثُمَّ عَاشَ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ حَتَّى كَانَ زَمْنُعُ عُثْمَانِ he lived on till the khilaf of Uthman bin Affan radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Right? So he lived on till that day. But Mu'adh bin Afra, he ended up falling and dying in the battlefield as a shaheed on that particular day. So both of these young men, they basically attacked Abu Jahl to the point where they injured him badly until Ikrimah stepped in and was able to kind of fight him off. But they left Abu Jahl in a pool of his own blood there in the battlefield. They both come back to the Prophet ﷺ and they say, Ya Rasulullah, both, one comes to the Prophet and he says, I killed Abu Jahl. The other one comes and he says, I killed Abu Jahl. And the Prophet said, which one of you killed him? And he said, both of us did. And the Prophet said, have both of you wiped your sword? And they said, no. So he said, let me see it. And they both showed their sword to the Prophet and he said, okay, both of you, right, have killed Abu Jahl. Later on after the battlefield, uh, after the battle had transpired quite a bit, the Prophet ﷺ, he basically told the Sahaba radiallahu anhum that I need somebody to go and check. I need somebody to go and check on uh, Abu Jahl. So Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says, I said, Ana ya Rasulullah, I'll go check. And so he says, and the Prophet ﷺ told him, he said, look, if you're not able to recognize him, just make sure you can find him either amongst the fallen or amongst the injured, but I need you to confirm. Because these two young men came to me saying they killed Abu Jahl, I need you to confirm that he is dead. So, and the Prophet said that for whatever reason, obviously it's a battle if you're not able to recognize him, then look for this scar on his knee. And the Prophet described the scar he had on his knee, and the Prophet said, I remember when we were young, I remember when we were young and we were both sitting at the food table, like the food spread of Abdullah bin Judaan. This was at the time of citing the, the, the virtuous pact, right, of social justice. That at that day something hot was spilled on his leg and it burned his skin. And he has a scar of that, so he has burned skin on his leg, on his knee area. So that's one way to recognize him. The Prophet remembered that from like 40 years ago or from like 30 years ago. And so he tells him, look for this particular scar. Nevertheless, Abdullah bin Mas'ud goes through the battlefield looking for you know, uh, Abu Jahl, until he then spots Abu Jahl. And Abu Jahl is still alive. He's still lying there injured in the battlefield, and he's alive. So Abdullah bin Mas'ud you know, sits down, basically comes upon him, to basically finish him off. 
And he says that, لَقَدْ أَخْزَاكَ اللَّهُ يَا عَدُوَ اللَّهُ That, O oh, enemy of God, Allah has humiliated you today. Allah has humiliated you today. And Abdullah bin Mas'ud says, I remember back in Mecca, one time, Abu Jahl, you know, he was torturing me. I remember he threw me down and he stepped on my neck. And he started choking me and suffocating me. And he let me go until I was near death. I remembered that day. Right? And he says that, I told him, I said, look, O enemy of God. Look what Allah has done to you. And he says, Abu Jahl was so arrogant. He says to me, he says, who won the battle? Who won the battle? And he said, Allah and His Messenger won the battle. And then he says to me, he says that, you know, have you, people, have you ever been able to kill somebody more honorable than me? He says, you people will never kill anybody more honorable than me. It is an honor for you to be able to kill me. Right? Consider yourself fortunate and lucky that you killed a man like me. Do you know who I am? Right? And he says that he, he even went, he even went as far as referring to Abdullah bin, uh, Abdullah bin Masood as, Ya Ruwayi al Ghanam. O small little shepherd of sheep. You are a small little insignificant shepherd of sheep. Do you know who I am? Right? Do you know what an honor it is for you to be able to kill me? So he said that I had basically had enough of him at this point. Right? That even in death, this is how arrogant he was. So he says, I basically finished him off. And uh, Abdullah bin Masood says that I had a broken little sword and Abu Jahl was lying there with his sword. And so I actually used his sword to finish him off. Until I came back to the Prophet and he said, I finished off Abdullah bin Masood. Uh, Abdullah bin Masood said, I finished off Abu Jahl. And then the Prophet said, show me. And then I took the Prophet into the battlefield and showed him. Um, and he says, the Prophet made me swear three times. فَاسْتَحْلَفَنِي ثَلَاثِ Right, ثَلَاثَ مَرَّاتٍ He made me take an oath three times. And I said, Wallahi, Wallahi, Wallahi. I swear to Allah, I swear to Allah, I swear to Allah. Because he, he was such a tormenting figure in the life of the Muslims. And he says, the Prophet said, show me. So I said, I took him into the battlefield and showed him um, where he lied. And um, the Prophet ﷺ at that time, he pointed to him and he said that, you know, هَذَا فِرْعَوْنُ أُمَّتِي هَذَا فِرْعَوْنُ هَذِي الْأُمَّةِ He is the Fir'aun of this Ummah. He is the Fir'aun of my Ummah. And then the Prophet ﷺ, uh, at that time, he said, Allahu Akbar. That Allah is greater. Alhamdulillahi الَّذِي صَدَقَ وَعْدَهُ وَنَصَرَ عَبْدَهُ وَهَزَمَ الْأَحْزَابَ وَحْدَهُ that all praises for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who fulfilled His promise, He helped His slave, and He defeated the army single-handedly by Himself. هَذَا فِرْعَوْنُ هَذِي الْأُمَّةِ This is the Fir'aun of this Ummah. And so this was the end of Abu Jahl, and this is basically how Abu Jahl met his end. Um, but similarly, you know, uh, on this day, while there was obviously the fall of these very notorious and nefarious individuals, on that day, there were some miraculous incidents as well. And these are just a couple of short stories. And I'll end with this and I'll conclude with this. So we kind of end on this uh, kind of a high note, I guess you will. Um, Qatada ibn Nu'man. Qatada ibn Nu'man. He is a sahabi, a companion of the Prophet ﷺ. And he participated in the battle of Badr. He's a Badri. He says, أَنَّهُ أُصِيبَتْ عَيْنُهُ يَوْمَ Badr. His eye was injured on the day of Badr. فَسَالَتْ حَدَقَتَهُ عَلَى وَجْنَتِهِ His eye was injured so bad that it basically started to kind of droop onto his face. Like it's, it's like his eye became dislodged, right? And fell onto his cheek, right? So it was like falling out of his face. فَأَرَادُوا يَقْتَعُوهَا So then the sahaba kind of sat him down and they were going to sever his eye, remove his eye. فَسَأَلُوا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ Before they did it, they asked the Messenger of Allah that this is what happened to Qatada, what should we do? And the Prophet said, no, 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 no. Don't remove his eye. فَدَعَابِهِ He said, bring him to me. فَغَمَزَ حَدَقَتَهُ بِرَاحَتِهِ Right? 
And then the Prophet ﷺ, in another narration, it says that the Prophet ﷺ took some of his saliva. And the Prophet ﷺ made dua for him. And he took some of his saliva. And then literally with his hand, the Prophet ﷺ put his eye back in its place. And miraculously, cured and healed his eye. And Qatada goes on to, when he would tell this story, when Qatada would tell this story, فَكَانَ لَا يَدْرِي أَيُّ عَيْنَهِ أُصِيبَتْ he was not able to recall which eye it was. So when he would tell this story, people would ask him which eye was it. He would say, I, I can't remember. Because both of his eyes were so perfect, were so fine, he actually after some time, he forgot which eye it was. Right? So this was a miracle of the Prophet ﷺ, a mu'ajizah of the Messenger ﷺ on that day. When Asim bin Umar bin Qatada, Asim bin Umar bin Qatada, the grandson of the Sahabi who this happened with, he met one time Umar bin Abdul Aziz. Umar bin Abdul Aziz who was the great Khalifa, the great leader of the Muslims. He met, so the grandson of the Sahabi who had heard this story firsthand from his grandfather, Qatada, he met Umar bin Abdul Aziz. And when he was introduced to Umar bin Abdul Aziz, Umar bin Abdul Aziz said, your grandfather told you the story about his eye? It was legend. And he said, yes, my grandfather told me the story himself. I've seen my grandfather, I've seen his eyes. Right? So he told him, tell me the story firsthand. I want to hear it from the one who heard it from him. Right? And he told him the story and then he said a couple of, uh, like a, he said a line of poetry, a couplet. He said, أَنَبْنُ الَّذِي سَالَتْ عَلَى الْخَدِّ عَيْنُهُ فَرَدَّتْ بِكَفِّ الْمُصْطَفَىٰ أَيَّمَا رَدَّةً He said, I am the grandson of the one whose eye fell out of his fell out of his head, fell out of his socket. And then the hand of Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wasallam returned it back to its place. Right? So he used to tell this story and then say this couplet. So that was a miracle at the hands of the Prophet ﷺ. There's even another story similarly that mentions the same thing, that another sahabi, he similarly says that, my eye was injured in the Prophet ﷺ, dua, da'a li. The Prophet ﷺ made dua for me and he applied his saliva in his hand and then he returned my eye back to its place and he healed and he cured my eye through this miracle. Another very interesting thing that is mentioned about a miracle of the Prophet ﷺ, multiple sahaba, multiple sahaba relate that on the day of Badr, the Prophet ﷺ, he handed me, one of those sahaba um, is Al-Husayn, uh, Ukasha, excuse me, Ukasha bin Mihsan. Ukasha bin Mihsan, Radiallahu ta'ala anhu is that great sahabi that one time the Prophet ﷺ said, 70,000 of my uh, companions, 70,000 believers will enter into paradise who never sought any type of ruqya or any type of help or assistance from anyone other than Allah. Like they were so strong in their iman that they never sought assistance from anyone other than Allah. Any help of anyone from anyone other than Allah. And Ukasha radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, Oh, Ya Rasulullah, make dua that I will be one of them. And then the Prophet said that you are one of them, Ukasha. And then another Sahabi said, Make dua for me, O Messenger of Allah, that I be one of them. And the Prophet said, Sabaqaka biha Ukasha. Ukasha got the first dibs. Right? I made dua for Ukasha. And he got first dibs. This is that great Sahabi, Ukasha. He says that on the day of Badr, my sword broke. In qata'a sayfi yawma Badr. فَأَعْطَانِي رَسُولَ اللَّهِ The Prophet ﷺ handed me a stick. The Prophet ﷺ handed me a stick, a branch. فَإِذَا هُوَ سَيْفٌ The second that he handed it to me, and I took it from the hands of the Prophet ﷺ, it became a sword. A stick became a sword. أَبْيَضْ طويل. It was white and it was long. Right? Some narrations mention that it was almost as long as like, like a person. Like a huge sword, like a four or five foot sword. Right? And it was white and shining. And it was a stick when he handed it to me. And he said, I fought with it right, uh, on that day of Badr. Another sahabi says the same exact thing. Salama bin Harish says that my sword broke 
in Kasara Saifi on the day of Badr. فَعَطَاهُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ سَمْ قَضِيبًا The Prophet ﷺ handed him a branch. And he says, اِدْرِبْ بِهِ Use this. فَإِذَا سَيْفٌ جَيِّدٌ And he said that it um, turned into a, an amazing beautiful sword. Until finally, and he said he fought with this sword in every single battle by the side of the Prophet ﷺ, and even after the Prophet ﷺ, until the day that he died. Another narration also mentions that um, there was one of the lead, there was this very um, fierce fighter um, on the day of Badr from the side of the Quraysh, um, and he was completely covered in armor. Completely covered up in armor. So you couldn't even see him. But the only thing that was open was his eyes. And one of the sahaba, he took a spear and he threw it at him and it struck him in the eye. Right? It went into his armor through that slit and it struck him in the eye and it killed him. And he said, when I tried to remove it, it broke. When I tried to remove it, it broke. So it was just like a broken spear. But he said it was like this keepsake. Right, it was like this um, keepsake that I had after the day of Badr, and he said that. فَسَأَلَهُ إِيَّاهَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ Afterwards, when he told the Prophet ﷺ the story about what happened, that I I threw the spear from far away and it went through the only part that was open, the eyes, and it struck him there. And then when I tried to pull it out, it broke. The Prophet ﷺ asked him if he could have it, and the Prophet ﷺ and he gave it to the Prophet ﷺ as a gift. فَلَمَا قُبِدَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى أَخَذَهَا Then when the Prophet ﷺ passed away, of course it went back to the same sahabi who had thrown it on that day. Um, and this was basically Ubaidah bin Sa'id bin Al-As. Right? Uh, oh no, this is, excuse me, Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Az-Zubair. So he says, when the Prophet ﷺ passed away, then I said, well, this was mine, and I gave it to the Prophet ﷺ. He says, ثُمَّ طَلَبَهَا أَبُو بَكَرَ Abu Bakr radiallahu asked, can I, can I have it? It was like a souvenir of Badr. And he said, I gave it to Abu Bakr. Then when Abu Bakr passed away, again, I went and recovered it, because it was mine. I had just given it to him. And then Umar radiallahu asked, can I have it? So I gave it to Umar. When Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu passed away, then again I took it back. Then Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu asked, can I have it? So I gave it to him. And then again when Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu passed away, then I took it back. And then Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu asked for it. And I gave it to Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And then when Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu passed away, and Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu had also passed away, then Abdullah bin Zubair, went and asked the family of Ali bin Abi Talib, can I have it? And they gave it to him. And then Abdullah bin Zubair had it until the day that he died. Until the day that he was killed. And after that, there's no record of where it went. But this was one of the souvenirs of Badr. That basically was passed on through the leadership, right, uh, of the Muslims until it came to Abdullah bin Zubair, until he passed away. And then after that point, there's no record of it exactly where it went and what happened to it on that day. So um, we'll go ahead and end here inshallah. Uh, what we're going to be talking about inshallah in the coming session is what happened after the battle of Badr. And what the Prophet ﷺ then did in terms of the prisoners that were captured on that day, what was done with those prisoners, and eventually the return of the Prophet ﷺ, the Muslims victoriously back to Medina, and the return of the Quraysh, Right, defeated and humiliated back to Mecca, and the things that transpired in the third year of the, the of the Hijrah. Inshallah, we'll talk about those things in the coming sessions. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala grant us all the ability to practice everything that was said and heard. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi. Subhanakallah wa bihamdik. Nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta nasafirukuna tuwilek.